When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I wanted a career in which everything would matter, so I joined the CIA, and now I help protect our families, our friends, and every fellow American. Find out how everything you do in your career can impact our nation. Visit CIA.gov careers to learn more and apply. All right, we're back. It's another Carolina podcast. Happy New Year, everybody. First, another Carolina podcast of 2020. First time I've seen Wes and Chris since a long time ago. Guys, do y'all have good holidays? And I think y'all both celebrate Christmas. Good Christmases, good Christmas, and good New Year's. Yeah, we are. Uh, <laughs> we we had a good one, I think. I think Chris had a good one, too. And ready to get back to it. Chris, did you, in fact, have a good one? I had a great one. Can confirm. Okay. It, it was I just didn't one. want Wes to be speaking on your behalf. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. Wes is my agent. <laughs> we, we had, we, no, we had a good one. It was very busy. And very uh, joyful. Good. Joy and, and, and busyness. I, I know y'all have been busy. Gamecock Central doesn't seem like y'all took any time off for any of the holidays because y'all have been cranking out as much quality content as ever. Um, and we are going to get to some of the fun stuff that y'all did over the holiday, including teams of the decade as we exited the teens and entered the 20s, except for those people that insist that the decade actually starts after this year, but those people are dumb and I don't like them. Uh, so we are going to proceed as if we have entered a new decade because in fact we have and a little bit later in the podcast talk about the all-decade football team but first some pressing news earlier this week uh, South Carolina had all of its early enrollees all 10 of them that's a lot it's a lot of dudes uh, getting on campus early there are a few more recruiting notes as Daquan Stewart has decommitted from the Gamecocks doesn't sound like it's a huge surprise from anybody involved anybody that's been following his recruitment uh, but guys let's start with those early enrollees uh, 10 guys do you have the list right in front of you for those of you that are wondering who exactly is on campus early for South Carolina? I don't have it in front of me, but I think we have it in our heads. Um, Even better. Luke Doty, quarterback Luke Doty, running back Marshawn Lloyd. Then at defensive back, you've got uh, Dominic Hill and O'Donnell Fortune, linebacker Mo Caba, offensive line, there's several, uh, Vershawn Lee, Trey Jones, Jason Turnatine, Tyshawn Wanamaker. Who else we got, Wes? How many did you just name? I don't know. I believe that was nine. Uh, wide receiver Mike Wyman. Mike Wyman was the other one. And also uh, Chuck Strickland, who's a preferred walk-on, right, from Burns yeah. High School. Uh, not a scholarship guy, but a preferred walk-on. He actually enrolled early as well, so they're sort of counting him in that group. So, obviously, the benefits of getting on campus early are numerous. If you had to prioritize them, because, you know, all of a sudden you're getting access to weight rooms and nutrition programs— you're getting, I guess, a little more access to the coaches and a somewhat limited capacity outside of spring ball, which is obviously is hugely important. More access to the playbook. Obviously, you're getting to develop a relationship with your teammates. If you had to like put those in some kind of order, like what do you think is the greatest benefit of these guys enrolling early? I, I think, you know, all of it's a positive because there's so many different things that are thrown at these kids. But if you are narrowing it down, I think it's just getting acclimated from a from an academic standpoint and a workout standpoint, right? Because, I mean, th- those are the things that – those are the first things. I mean, these kids aren't walking straight into practice, you know. They're not arriving 
on February 26th when they start spring practice. They're not arriving right at the start of preseason camp, which is really, really – that's the most difficult for anybody who gets there right at the beginning of preseason camp. Now they're jumping into school classes. They're jumping into practice without having gone through the summer workouts, without having gone through spring. So for these guys that are arriving in January, have a little bit of time, then they're starting practice or, – or not practice, they're starting workouts with the staff – and they're, they're getting acclimated from a class standpoint and just a college life standpoint. I mean, if you talk to any guys, um, you know, after they get on campus in, in media settings or if you talk to um, any recruits that maybe are hosted by these guys on visits, things of that nature, you always hear that it's just so much different than high school. You know, and so, um, you know, whether it's the nature of the workouts, how difficult they are, being on a schedule – I think just getting acclimated to all that's very helpful. And then to be able to go through the winter workouts in January, especially now with a you know new strength coach and Paul Jackson on board, that gives them a chance to get acclimated to the way things are done. And then you can go into spring ball during your installation. You can go through summer workouts, and you already have a base. So I think that's the biggest thing. We've seen the number of early enrollees at South Carolina and just across the country go up pretty much every year since the early signing period started because obviously now it's – feasible to do that because previously you had to wait until February to sign. Um, where does this end? Are we going to get to a point where all 25 guys in a class are going to sign in the early signing period and enroll in January? Obviously, you know, there's some exceptions. Some high schools don't allow it. But do you think it's heading in that direction? Or do you think we've kind of already reached the point where schools will have between, you know, eight and a dozen on the high end and that's kind of where it's going to settle? I mean, I don't think it'll ever get to the point where everybody does because uh, you know first of all you got to be in academic situation to actually do that um you know you're always going to have some guys that are still finishing up classes um you know and frankly some guys that, that want to finish up classes and want to go through all their um senior year stuff now you know much champ did talk about how even if guys enroll early they're still allowed to go back and go to their prom uh, they can go walk the stage all, all that stuff as well so i think that helps maybe um, relieve some of that but you know a lot of these guys are, are multi-sport players so you know you look at, at a guy like Tonka Hemingway he absolutely had the academics where he could have enrolled early if he wanted to but um, plays baseball plays basketball and uh, didn't want to leave his you know his current teammates so you know I think for the guys that want to do it it makes a ton of sense uh, like Chris said the acclimation process it's just so much easier it's at such it's at a pace that I think is more fitting for guys going off to college for the first time, um, you know, as opposed to just being thrown to the wolves, so to speak. But um, for the guys that are sort of in on it and that are ready, it's an outstanding situation. Now, if they're not sort of bought in, if they're not quite ready and they want to finish out those things at their current high schools, then I think it makes sense for those guys to wait. Videos have circulated since Marshawn Lloyd has been on campus now for a couple of days of him backflipping in various locations around South Carolina's campus. I remember we were standing in this very studio when one of you showed me a, a video of Marshawn Lloyd. I don't know, he was doing some drill at some kind of combine probably last summer. And I don't know, he like ran through an Oklahoma drill or something like that. And at the end of it, he did a backflip. And that's when I realized that I need to learn how to do a backflip. Did y'all know that I learned how to do a backflip this summer after that? You did? Yeah. A gainer or just a backflip? Just a backflip. Like off a trampoline or running start? or uh, No, I, I did it on a beach. Well, I didn't show you all that video? 
No. no. Okay. All right. We'll have to. But show you but you're st- like a gainer. Like you're standing there. Are you taking any steps? Or? I mean, I just stood there. I just did a backflip. That's pretty impressive. It was, so, but that. I was inspired by Marshawn Lloyd. So I just have to shout out. Have to shout out Marshawn. Well, because we were like, oh, that's so impressive. And I was like, wait a second, I can do a backflip. Maybe other people will think I'm that impressive. So, I learned how to do it. It was cool. I wonder if he could do that many and then splice them together on a video. Definitely not. When he had some cool back handsprings in there too, and. Uh, it was super impressive, but uh, it, it's interesting that the guys that have chosen to, or that are electing to enroll earlier, have enrolled early in South Carolina. It's like Luke Doty. That's someone that people think might be the new franchise cornerstone, and Marshawn Lloyd, who's obviously going to have a, a lot of responsibility, hopefully, in South Carolina's offense next year. Um, you look at Muhammad Kaba, a guy that I think people are really excited about, is maybe sort of a, a diamond in the rough, as it were, because he's only what like a three-star guy, and he's someone yeah. that, that projects a lot of upside given his length and coverage ability at the linebacker position. Um, so the, the guys that Carolina has gotten in feel like the guys that might be able to make an impact right away, and I don't necessarily think that's a coincidence. Yeah, I mean, it, you saw when uh, when they tweeted out that video that that Paul Jackson, the new strength coach, is like, please don't ever do that again. Yeah, um, you know, <laughs> wants to sort of let, let's avoid those types of injuries. But no, I mean, it it, it really does. Um, you know, his even since he's gotten on campus, you know, there's a lot of excitement about him because. He's he's a tremendous athlete. He looks really good. If if he's like three quarters as good as he looks on film, then you know, then they're going to be uh, in for a treat. I think there. And on top of that, he's just got a really his personality is really unique. You know, he's just he's he's a serious guy about his business. Um, he, there's there's no issues with him um, during the recruiting process. There were no issues with him. You know, he just he committed, and that was sort of it. I mean, they didn't have to deal with any drama with them. And this day and age, for a guy like him that had that many schools, those big-name programs coming after him, that's sort of rare. Um, you know, and same thing with Luke. I mean, um, so they, they've definitely got some guys that – and I think those three that you hit on, we'll, we'll see how Kaba in the spring, you know, how much he can do, you know, from a from a physical standpoint because of the knee injury last year. It was early last year, but I haven't really heard how much he'll do. But certainly, I think you look at Marshawn – He's the number one guy in the class. He's not the only difference maker in the class by any means because there's some guys in January and there's some summer guys that are going to make an impact. But he's the one that you can really pinpoint of, you know, this is a guy that's going to play a huge role. I think he's got a really good shot to quickly establish himself as the presumed starter. So it's kind of funny. The football season, I think we can all agree, was pretty much a worst-case scenario. And then since the end of the football season, it's kind of all been good. The Mike Bobo hire, I think people are – generally pretty excited about um you know paul jackson as a strength and conditioning coach for people that have strong opinions about such things i haven't heard many dissenting opinions therein the recruiting class went not only as expected in terms of carolina getting the guys that they thought they were going to get but you're obviously able to land jordan birch as well which has been tremendous you get these early enrollees everything's been going well one small piece of bad news and not even like really bad news because again it it wasn't unexpected according to y'all I think some other Gamecock fans are maybe a little bit surprised by it. Really, the only negative thing that's happened since the football season ended is the decommitment of Daquan Stewart, wide receiver out of North Carolina. Y'all weren't surprised by this. Should Carolina fans be worried? Does this does this signal sort of like the end of his recruitment for South Carolina, or are the Gamecocks still in it? Yeah, I would look for it to end South Carolina's recruitment as far as this goes. Uh, you know, Daquan's a guy that's been committed for um, you know literally a year now, but I, I think the when he did not sign in the early signing period, um, that should have been the first sign that um, something was a little bit up here. Obviously, um, whenever there's a situation where a guy maybe doesn't 
isn't quite where they need to be academically. Sometimes they'll ask them to wait and sign and sort of see where things go. And, um, you know, this day and age, you, you lose the scholarship. If you sign a guy and he does not qualify, um, you don't get that that counter back, basically. So you have to be very, very careful about that. And, um, you know, I, I would look for – I don't know where uh, Daquan's going to look now, like what schools are in it, but I, I think South Carolina um, probably will move on. We've talked a ton. Um, in fact, we'll probably give an update a little bit later on in this episode. We've talked a ton about Jakari Caldwell, the receiver at Northwestern. The fact that South Carolina has moved in so quickly on him in the past month or so I think was a sign that, uh, you know, this was coming. And uh, essentially you're looking at him as the guy they're trying to land to to replace uh, Daquan Bobo Stewart in this class, I think. What's interesting is you look at the list of schools that have offered him, it's it's not like he's passing up South Carolina – because he's got necessarily a murderer's row of other offers. And look, South Carolina just went 4-8, and eight, so it's not, a, uh, I guess, a hot program right now, but it's Akron and UMass and Charlotte and Coastal and Georgia Tech and Liberty, Louisville, Penn State, Syracuse, and West Virginia. I don't think I'm missing anyone. I have the list right in front of me. Those are the schools that have offered him. Um, do you have any inclination where at this point he might land? No, I, I don't know where he's going to end up, like I said, but um, I, I think it's more of a situation of, of almost a mutual split Um would be maybe the best way to say it as opposed to him just uh, leaving South Carolina. So as you mentioned, Jakari Carball already kind of slotted as the quote-unquote replacement for Bobo Stewart in this class. Uh, what else should Carolina fans be looking at in terms of rounding out the 2020 class come February? You know, I guess we'll start with Jakari. A um, little bit more detail on him. I think the thing to watch right there is uh, does Clemson come in and, and offer? They've started showing a great deal of interest. Um, you know, we reported on this. Uh, Tiger Illustrator has reported on this as well. Um, they could offer as soon as next week. They're evaluating, um, looking. I think it sounds like Clemson wants to add another receiver to their class potentially, and uh, Jakari could be the guy that they focus on, uh, depending on what they decide to do. But they've reached out. They're showing interest. Um, before that, I mean, I would have said he's a borderline lock for South Carolina. Everything I've heard there is that he'll take an official visit later on this month and then probably sign with South Carolina in February. I think Clemson getting involved, if they do offer, throws a little bit of a wrench into that. But I actually, at this point, for everything I've heard, I would sort of characterize it as South Carolina has to be wary of Clemson because of the fact that we all know what they've done right now. We all know what they do on offense. We all know how well they've recruited at that position. Um, But I, I still think because South Carolina was in a little bit earlier, uh, they have a much better situation to sell as far as playing time, the chance to come right in and play early. Um, great job by Bobby Bentley building a relationship there so far. Um, I would still, even if Clemson offers, I still think South Carolina is probably the favorite with Jakari Caldwell. And, uh, but that will, that will be something to sort of uh, look for moving forward is do they move in? Do they get him on campus? And, uh, you know, Chris, I think it actually, the other side of that, is that it speaks to his ability as a player. We've seen him blow up. He went from you know, maybe a couple of smaller offers to having double-digit Power 5 offers in a matter of like a week, um, maybe yeah. a, a month or so ago. So uh, if Clemson does offer the fact that they're sniffing around, I think, I mean, we've nobody listening to this podcast really wants us to go into depth about Clemson's receiver recruiting over the last four or five years. but It's been good. But, yeah, so the fact that those <laughs> yeah. guys want this guy potentially says a lot about this guy. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and 
part of it, I think one of part of it is you get a little bit of the domino effect with you know South Carolina. They they were one of the first, right, or the first to sort of start the party. They were right? one of one uh, one ba- one of Baylor the first. was actually Baylor. Part of the reason he it? took the official to Baylor was because they were um, yeah. basically, I believe, the first Power Five right. to officially offer. So that right. that got them involved because they. But but all these. You so Jakari Caldwell of the Panthers confirmed. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And he'd he'd have the he'd be right down the road. Yeah, um, easy. But uh, but yeah. So I I think you you look at the relationship also that Bobby Bentley had built there before South Carolina even offered. Yeah. What I've heard is paying off here. But yeah, there was a big group of schools there, a bunch of ACCs, Wake Forest, NC State. Um, he was originally committed to ECU, had backed off that, and then just this load of offers came in in about I think a forty eight hour, seventy two hour window there. Yeah, and I mean he he's definitely a guy that um you know you look at him and he he looks like a high level guy you know you just look at him physically you look at him on film he's got the height the length he's got ball skills smooth routes he can run you know and so is he you know is he like a five star guy no I mean no, nobody's saying that at this point but he is someone that um you know has really seen his stock take off I think um. You know, off- offensively, we've seen Northwestern put up some huge numbers and produce some really good receivers in the past, and we've heard from from folks around there that West can back this up that you know he's he's got a chance to be a guy who's you know up there with him. He's got some he's got some bloodlines you know in his family. Um, his brother is actually Anthony Johnson, who played um, at Buffalo and then ended up as as a guy who ended up in the NFL, and he was he was a tremendous receiver, and so. There's some, he's got some other family members too that that have played ball. So a lot of good things that we've heard about him, and, and someone that once his once his senior season sort of progressed, South Carolina really liked what they saw and, and moved in on him, and seems pretty excited about him as as other schools are. So the early signing period saw Carolina Inc. What nineteen of twenty three available for the twenty twenty class? Is that right? Seventeen. Seventeen of twenty three. Yeah. There's six more guys: Jakari Caldwell, and who are the other five? So then you got. Jordan Birch and Alex Huntley. Right. So really, the sort of the breakdown. I'll just do it this way, or I'll mess it up. So seventeen in 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 uh, December, rather. Then you've got Birch and Huntley to make nineteen. Okay. Then you've got uh, Matt Oliveira and Nick Muse counting towards that class. So that's twenty one. Okay. And then you've got Colin Hill mm-hmm. counting towards that class. So that's twenty two. All right, and Caldwell then, makes twenty three, and that'd be twenty three, and so then you got two others, um, you know, so that could be really another running back is going to be one. So is the possibility of taking Zaquandre White is on the board. Henry Parrish is still a guy that South Carolina is swinging for at the running back position. We'll have to see how that plays out. Still a bunch of schools recruiting him. Some official visits probably in January. Ole Miss, FSU, Florida's in the mix. Um, you still got the two specialists on the board. So there's. The kicker, Mitch Jeter. There's the punter, Kai Kroger. Now, South Carolina could get creative with those guys and count them forward. If there's a slot available, you know, you could sign one. If, um, if it's available, just go ahead and, you just go ahead and sign, sign one them, of them. Yeah. yeah. Um, I hope it's Kai, personally, just as we talked about Kai, or Kai kickers. Well, I mean, he's going to be a part of He's yeah, going to be, on, be in, in the program regardless. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a matter of do you do it now or do you push him to where it counts for 2021. Yeah. But um, – yeah, I think a running back. I I think they're possibly still looking at, at DBs. It seems like, um, you know, they hope 
Caldwell as a receiver, I think, but I think adding a receiver is definitely a priority. Um, maybe another defensive end, too. From from what we've heard, though, the Reggie Grimes thing, um, it seemed like there was some buzz online that South Carolina could potentially flip him. Um, doesn't really seem like that's the case anymore. I, I think that's a long shot to happen um, or a no shot, at least at this point. It doesn't seem like it's going to happen. So uh, I'll be curious to see, do they move in on another DB? Do they move in on another defensive end? Um, is, is there a a best available out there. You know, sometimes I think with this staff, we've seen it before. If you get down to that final slot, you almost take an NFL draft uh, best available approach. Is there a guy out there that's maybe had a big senior year, maybe decommits from another school? Um, they'll they'll sort of go through because they can hit the road again here soon and see if there's a senior guy that they feel like can help the team. Um, but certainly they won't, I think, one of these spots, safe to say one of these spots to a receiver one of these spots to a running back, and then we'll see what happens with the other one. So we'll obviously keep you all posted on how South Carolina is finagling the math as we get a little bit closer into February. And with that, I would like to, I guess, present a motion. The three of us are going to vote on it for, I guess, on behalf of at least all of Gamecock Central, hopefully all the world. So obviously the early signing period has become the thing. You guys have even just taken to calling it signing day. Now February is the official, official national signing day. I am, what do you, present a motion, make a motion? Motion to have the February National Signing Day, we're going to call it from now on, late signing period. And early signing day, we're just going to call National Signing Day. Y'all cool with that? All in favor? I'm cool. I, I mean, I, we already call it. Sure. I mean, to okay. me, it's no, we already. Have to, we have to call this one up, upcoming February signing. late signing day. Okay. All right. So, I yeah, might we, forget, but. We will keep y'all is posted. Is there a penalty? For- <laughs> huh? Yeah, you get 40 lashes every time you say it wrong. Uh, eyelashes, though. You just have to, like. Keep them in your pocket or something. I just remember there was a, that works. Yeah, I know y'all are old men, so y'all don't remember watching SpongeBob growing up. But somebody, oh, it was it was the episode where they're painting Mr. Krabs' house, and basically SpongeBob's like, oh, we can't get any paint on the floor to Patrick, or Mr. Krabs is going to give us forty lashes, you know, like like with a whip, you know, like pirate style. And then Patrick has like a little thought bubble. He's imagining what it would be like to get forty lashes, and he just got really really thick eyelashes. Like he's going to add forty eyelashes. Um, it's a better visual joke, and I hate both of you for being old. So shut up. We could really um, go down. Well, you already did go down the rabbit hole, and that I could go further, but we won't. And so, yes. all right, fine. We're going to keep y'all posted on other recruiting things as Carolina rounds out its class as we head into the late signing period. Uh, two other things, and you already alluded to it, and this is kind of a multi-part story. But we'll start with the first part since you already mentioned Colin Hill's name. This is, I guess, sort of recruiting adjacent. There's a lot of reasons that it makes sense for former Colorado State quarterback Colin Hill to come back to South Carolina. One, he's a local kid. Two, following his former head coach, Mike Bobo, obviously South Carolina's new offensive coordinator. There's a lot of things that make sense about this. And by the way, if y'all are subscribed to the Gamecock Central Podcast Network, you got a notification for a great interview y'all did with Colin Hill. That was last week or two weeks ago. And if you didn't, go check it out on GamecockCentral.com or just look at the Gamecock Central Podcast Network feed. The part of this that doesn't make sense is it's already projected to be a crowded quarterback room with Ryan Helensky. He's obviously the the presumptive starter. He was starter for almost all of last season. He's coming back healthy by all indications. You have Luke Doty, who people are really, really high on, who think, I mean, could be the face of this team going forward anyway. And you have DeKarian Joyner, who is the crowd favorite, who's the back who's a backup quarterback for most of last season, um, who has who provides a lot of interesting, I guess, elements to the offense, at least theoretically, that Helensky doesn't necessarily offer that Luke Doty, we're not sure. So it's already a crowded quarterback room. Um how much should Carolina fans read into Colin Hill transferring to South Carolina? Or is it really just about Bobo and being home? 
Um, I mean, I think it's just about for all the reasons you laid out, it just makes a lot of sense. Um, you never have too much depth at the quarterback position, as we saw last year. Um, you know, your starter goes down, then uh, you know the guy that has to step in is playing banged up. Then to carry on, Joiner is playing banged up. I mean, you can never have you never have too many guys there that could potentially help. And uh, you know, I think Colin Hill is a guy that yes, he he adds depth to the room, um, but I don't think he's going to lay down and just you know give up the starting position either. I think he's here to compete. Um, I think he's a mature kid, which at the quarterback position, having those natural leadership skills is uh, a big part of it as well. And, um, you know, I I was impressed with how he carried himself in high school, even more impressed with him now, talking to him. Um, I think it just made sense. Anytime you can bolster your quarterback room, you should do it. And it it also, it, it lets Luke Doty come in and progress at the rate that is best for him as opposed to progress at the rate that is best maybe um, for the team. Or, or, you know, let's be frank, sometimes when freshman quarterbacks are playing, a lot of the time it's because they're being forced into action as opposed to them being truly, completely ready. So, um, you know, I think this is good for Ryan Helensky. I think this is good for the quarterback room. I think it's good for Colin Hill. Um you know, his from when we were talking, uh, you know, his parents and family having to get all the way out to Colorado to see him play. Um, you know, being right down the interstate from where he grew up there as a as a dorming grad. His sister went to South Carolina. Um, obviously, I think it speaks a bit to Mike Bobo as well. Um, you know, as far as him wanting to follow his coach, I think speaks to his comfort level and his trust in Bobo as a not just a person, but also, you know, as, as a coach and a play caller and a developer and all those things. So, to me, it just made – I know some people sort of like, wait, what? But uh, to me, this made complete sense on, like, every single, uh, you know, direction you could look at it. So the other part of that story is when people heard the news that Colin Hill was transferring to South Carolina, they thought, okay, you know, we, we kind of thought DeCarion Joyner was going to transfer. This must mean he's absolutely going to transfer. And this was totally – this wasn't even like a media – like drummed up storyline about joining transferring. This is seriously just like people on Twitter and message boards that for some reason thought it was going to happen. And to carry on joiner yesterday, we're recording this Wednesday morning. I think it was yesterday afternoon or maybe Monday afternoon. He put this thing out on Twitter, this great video, a whole thing about, you know, sticking with what you started, not quitting, not giving up, you know, he's not going to transfer whatever. And people were like, Oh, thank goodness. But the the whole to carry on joiner transfer story has been so interesting to me because one, there was never any indication from, anyone inside or even close to the football program that thought to carry on Joyner was going to transfer. And secondly, like I wasn't surprised because last season he didn't win the backup quarterback job. He said, I'm not going to transfer. I stick with what I started last year during the regular season. It was like, okay, well, you know, same thing. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to quit. I'm going to stick with what I started. He says that again. And now all of a sudden people feel a lot better. Like I didn't expect him to transfer anyway, because we know what kind of kid he is. He has reiterated his stance time. And again, I don't know why people, needed this like third or fourth or whatever affirmation that Joyner was going to stick with the program. I mean, I guess it's good news because you have another playmaker and then the questions arise of what it actually is his role next year because whether it's in the quarterback room is probably the, I don't know, maybe the second string quarterback, maybe the third string quarterback, maybe even the fourth string quarterback with Colin Hill coming in. Is he going to embrace a more full-time switch to wide receiver where South Carolina could definitely use athleticism and playmaking potential? Um, but more than anything, like I said, I just, I was surprised that people felt like this was such a big story. I would have been very surprised if he had transferred. 
Well, I think just this day and age, if you're a quarterback and you don't win the job, um, you transfer out. And, uh, you know, there's certainly been some rumblings that to carry on was considering that as an option, I think, safe yeah. to say. Yeah, safe um, to say. I mean, th- there was it's, – it's not as if it was never in question. Uh, I wouldn't. Yeah, you know, so that, that was out there. I get it. Um I'm not surprised that he's staying. I wouldn't have been surprised if it was the other side either. I, I think it's, I think it's refreshing. Um, again, I mean, we said it when he stayed um, preseason. I, I think um, him staying preseason um, w- was obviously refreshing, but that was right before the, you know, the year was about to start, and um, you know he he stuck with his team. But you, I don't think anybody would have blamed him because this is what quarterbacks do. Quarterbacks transfer out. If he had waited to the end of the year. Uh, you know, the semester's about to start at USC and said, look, I gave it my best shot. I want to play quarterback. I signed to play quarterback, not quarterback and receiver. Um, and I'm going to go do that. I don't think there's any way you could place any blame on him for doing that. No, and but, I'm not saying I would have. I'm just saying he said so many times and he just seems like the kind of guy that would stick with it that I would have been surprised. Do you all feel the same way? Like, well, that, I, I know no, I, I take a lot of flack for being hard on, on Joyner for his, you know, part of its lack of opportunities, but like ultimate lack of productivity on the field. But, uh, you know, you never doubt his character, and he seems like someone that really likes South Carolina, that really, you know, likes Will Muschamp, that likes the coaching staff, and that seems committed to finishing whatever it is that he started. But I, I don't think it would be a lack of character if he left to go somewhere he could play. Um, I mean, that's what that's what quarterbacks do. If that's what guys at a lot of positions do. Yeah, you know yeah. I mean? But, you know, in, in quarterback, for the most part, you only – you look at other positions – you play five offensive linemen. You start five offensive linemen. You start three receivers most places. You rotate two running backs. Um, you play four defensive ends. You play four defensive tackles um, if you're talking about the guys you're rotating in. Quarterback, for the most part, there's a guy. And then there's a backup. But normally the backup is either an older guy who's just stuck around or a young guy who one day wants to be the guy. So quarterback is such a unique position uh, it's recruited differently than every other position. It's handled differently than every other position. And guys transfer, I feel like, um, at a higher rate than any other position. So I, I don't think it would be an issue of character whether he transfers or not. I just think um, at some point guys want to play. So I'm never surprised when a quarterback transfers out. Um, no, and, and I should be clear. I'm not saying that it represents like low character if you do that because I support you know players transferring and, and you know freedom of player movement and things like that. But I just think it takes someone of – like exceptionally high. Like I don't think Jalen Hurts is low character. I don't think Justin Fields is low character. Yeah. They all have the reasons and it makes sense. But it, I think mm-hmm. it just takes someone of exceptionally high character to accept a less than stellar position. You know, in the interest of helping the team, or like the, it, the being part of something greater than yourself. Yeah, yeah, and agree. And and he had, you know, yeah. Remember, he had he's had people in his ear. You know, all these players have people in their ear. But when, when Ryan Halinski won, remember back in the spring when they sort of unexpectedly. Or after spring, you know, Ryan's the the backup quarterback going into the season. That was, yeah, that was going into going into preseason. Yeah, right. That yeah. was after after the start spring. Of yeah, fall. No, after fall camp. After fall camp. Yeah, yeah. After fall camp, when they when they came out and said that, you know, and it was sort of unexpected. We didn't know if they'd sort of leave it open ended. You know, DeCarion had people in his ears saying leave. You know, and you remember, he, you know, he took it one day off practice. Um, so that was a difficult thing to swallow, and, and then you, you listen to this different feedback and you think about it. So, and then you know throughout the year, and then as last year progressed, as the season played out on the field, so there are different things that go into considering it. But yeah, I mean, I agree. It, it, he's a 
he's a different type of guy. You know, some of the things that he's gone through um, and, and the way that he goes about his business is is sort of unique. And so I think it, it says a lot about him to do that. Nobody would fault him if he did leave. I, I'm, I think the next question and the most interesting thing now is the same thing we talked about all season long until he was sort of slowed and hampered is how does he get used at this point? Mm-hmm. You know, is is quarterback still on the table? Is is this spring going to be more used to sort of come along at receiver? Um, is he sort of a multi-tool guy? Um, you know, watching, I don't know, watching uh, Taysom Hill for the Saints this week, not that not that they're similar players because Hill is a much bigger and more mm-hmm. physical type of player, but just seeing seeing an NFL team, which, you know, the NFL used to be so, like, by the book about, you know, this guy has to be used this way. This guy's a wide receiver. This guy's a quarterback. Seeing a team be creative with a guy like that and get him the ball in different ways and get him on the field in different ways, he's running. He's like the first guy down there on special teams as well. Um, Could they use him like Florida used to use Percy Harvin or like we saw Kentucky use Lynn Bowden this year? Um, you know, maybe not to the extent that you know, because obviously at the end of the season, Lynn Bowden was just playing quarterback, he's the quarterback. but but yeah, you know yeah. that kind of guy, which is still crazy, where to me. you know he's playing receiver, but he's you know taking some wildcat snap, wildcat snaps, and you're you know running some reverses with him and some fake reverses, and just getting him involved on motion and window dressing. Like I think there's a there are a lot of interesting options there, and we talked about this a little bit, and we'll talk about it more as we get closer to spring practice and obviously next season. But right now, this this Carolina roster is pretty much bereft any sort of proven perimeter playmaking talent like shy smith is the best guy and he just had a very very lackluster season you need all the help you can get you need all hands on deck and i think to Karen joiner you know maybe the one thing that you look at in terms of this announcement that he made on twitter and in terms of him doubling down on just being committed to the team is a little more willingness because i mean last year he still he still wanted to be the quarterback and he was and it's good that that he stayed there because obviously by the end of the season carolina needed it and it's unfortunate that he weren't healthy because you know that maybe would have made a difference down the stretch in, in a couple of these games to have a like an actual healthy backup quarterback as Ryan Holinsky was dealing with the things that he was dealing with. But if he does feel comfortable making that full-time switch, it's it's all hands on deck at this point, and he's someone that I think could help. Yeah, yeah. for sure. I mean, I, athletically, he's and I think he even showed some flashes last year. Now, it's important to keep in mind he did have to go back. You know, his development was hampered because he had to go back to quarterback at times because he either was the backup um, or they or they needed to keep him in the room because of the lack of depth. You didn't have Jake Bentley. You had a freshman in Ryan Holinsky who was also then banged up. And, you know, Jay Urich had spent time at wide receiver. That that was – he had pretty much made a full-time switch. And then Joyner also got hurt. You know, he missed some time. He was limited. The Georgia game where he came in and was the – you know, basically he was the third-string guy at that point, second string since Bentley was out, um, you know, and came in and was not 100% in that game and helped him win the game. So – but he showed, you know, that – whatever position he's at, you know, he has not had a ton of opportunities yet, that's for sure. And so um, he's shown that he has ability. I think even at receiver, he showed some natural ability to do that. He's just a good athlete. So I'm, I'm really intrigued by it. Just, you know, th- they weren't able to fully, I guess, unleash, you could say, how they want to use him because he wasn't fully healthy. And then they just had a lot of different circumstances offensively last year, whether it's not being very good or having a bunch of injuries or having to shuffle the quarterback room that really prevented that from happening. So mm-hmm. if they can put some more of those factors into place this year, you know, then maybe they can have not only have a clear plan but execute it. Is there a scenario where South Carolina lines up against Coastal Carolina, season opener, and Carry On Joiner is your starter at slot? Sure. 
I think I think probably after he returns the opening kickoff too. Well, and I, I, the more as much as I think Shy Smith has been a good slot receiver for South Carolina, the fact that they have not been able to sort of have that deep threat on the outside to help stretch the field, um, if Carryon Joiner ends up able to sort of buy in, and I, I shouldn't say buy in, but develop at receiver and show that he can be a consistent threat, then. You know, maybe that maybe that does open the door to move Shy Smith to the outside. That's something they talked about all this pass off season, but he ended up back in the slot anyway. Which I think um, is where he's more comfortable, right? And you hope that XL can take that outside spot so you can allow Shy to play back inside. Like isn't that the best case scenario for this team though, in terms of maximizing a guy's skill set? What do you mean? Having Shy play inside. And like I think that's I feel like that's why he keeps ending up there, right? I mean maybe. I just I think they've they've lacked guys on the outside. That are downfield threats. Now, may, you know, maybe Leggett can be that, um, but we'll see. And you, I mean, you got to have two outside guys because mm-hmm. they're, you know, they're going to be in three wide a lot. Um, you know, Ortre Smith's another. You know, ideally, maybe Ortre gets back a hundred percent and he's outside. Leggett's outside and Shy is inside. But, but I, I think you know, D- Debo was an outside player a lot of his career at South Carolina, and um, you know. He brought you a deep threat, and I, I think that's something they need. So, you know, it may be playing shy both ways, playing him in the slot and outside is something that we see more of um, this coming year. But certainly, to me, there's a lot of questions at the receiver position. And if if on Joyner could show that he's ready to be a starter, an SEC-caliber starter, um, that helps – Solidi- that helps solidify some things offensively, and I, I, I don't know that he necessarily can. That that's a big ask. We, we all we always talk about an athletic quarterback and be like, oh, that guy should move to receiver. Like it's easy when it's it's not easy. You know, there's so much that goes into that position. Yeah, I mean, but, not to mention you look at the other receivers that he's going up against. Like, I mean, just this year, for example, you have like you know the four guys at Alabama and the couple of guys from LSU and you know Lynn Bowden at Kentucky and the couple of guys at Florida, and it's like these are guys that are amazing receivers and have probably mostly, I don't know, maybe some of them played quarterback in high school, but most of these guys have been playing wide receiver their whole life and Mm -hmm. wide receivers their entire college career. So it's never as easy as just plug a guy, plug an athletic guy in and he's going to be a great receiver. You got to work on your route tree. You got to work on, you know, a whole bunch of different things that we don't even necessarily think about. But for Carolina, you don't have really a lot of other options. Yeah, no, you're right. And uh, we'll see that to me. That's that position is probably one of my and we'll have all offseason to talk about it all spring and talk about it. That's one of my biggest question marks, I think, going into next year is what do they do at the receiver spot. Yeah, Spring ball starts February 26th. We will obviously have a lot more leading up to spring practice, and then hopefully we'll get a, a some idea. I don't know how much how much they'll give away, how much we'll actually be able to glean from spring practice in terms of where to carry on Joyner will fit into this year's offense, but hopefully the picture will start to become a little bit clearer. Uh, the one thing that remains to be seen, you know, at this point, I don't think the carry on Joyner uh, projects to be one of the guys that would finish in the all-decade team for the 2020s. Maybe if this move to wide receiver pans out, he could certainly be in that discussion. Uh, but as we exit the teens, Wes, you and Chris and everyone else at Gamecock Central, I know Colin worked on it, I don't know who else was involved in this collaboration, uh, worked a lot, and I, I weighed in a little bit here and there, not in any official capacity, on the South Carolina football team of the decade, the best decade in the history of South Carolina football, which... I think might make some Carolina fans sad because you finished the decade going four and eight. But regardless, it was a very successful decade. A lot of great players, a lot of guys in the NFL, a lot of record-breaking performances over the course of the entire decade. Uh, you want to just give it to me straight up, or are we going to make people go read it and we'll just discuss some of the controversial picks? Um, it, it doesn't matter. Are we, are we giving 
the Gamecock Central one or our our personal ones? Let's do uh let's get, give the Gamecock Central one and we can talk about where we would where we would disagree. All right. Gamecock Central Real quick. Now, this was consensus opinion amongst all the staff writers, right? There were, I wouldn't say consensus. Well, not yet, but we but voted. It was a collaboration. Yeah. Um, oh, I don't think Chris sent his in. Did you? No, I have mine in my head. Oh, okay, sweet. Um, all right, quarterback Connor Shaw, running back Mark Slattimore, receivers Alshon Farrow, Brian Edwards. Um, wow. wow. Offensive line, A.J. Can, Corey Robinson, Brandon Shell, Donnell Stanley. Um, that doesn't include center, which was T.J. Johnson. Defensive ends, Clowney and Melvin Ingram. Defensive tackles, Javon Kinlaw and Taylor Stallworth. Linebackers, Shaq Wilson, Sky Moore, TJ Brunson. Corners, Stefan Gilmore, Victor Hampton. Safeties, DJ Swearinger, Antonio Allen. Kickers and punters, Elliot Fry, Joe Charlton. Uh, punt and kick returners, Ace Sanders and Debo Samuel. Coach of the decade, Stephen Orr Spurrier. <laughs> Offensive player of the decade, a tie, Marcus Lattimore, Alshon Jeffrey. Defensive player of the decade, no surprise, Davian Clowney. Special teams player of the decade, Debo Samuel, and freshman of the decade, Marcus Lattimore. Um, Damn, son. All right, so my first reaction when you read that off, and I was actually having this conversation with somebody over the break, and hearing that list kind of confirms my suspicion. It's really unfortunate. Obviously, we know that it was kind of tough luck with Carolina having those three straight 11-win seasons, not making a BCS Bowl or anything like that, but you put that all-decade team against every other all-decade team in the SEC – that's pretty competitive. Yeah, you. It's not the best, but you're battling. That's that is you're, a damn good team. You're in the conversation. Um, I just realized there's no tight end. Wow, how's there no tight end? No tight end. That'd be a tough one too to uh, come up with uh, some guys. Five we'll, we'll do tight end. Um, all right. So here, oh, so, there's been a lot of good tight ends too. So <laughs> mine, I'm partial to Busta. Uh, when did Jared Cook graduate? Was he, he the odds or was he teens? No, oh. he he wouldn't have been this day. Yeah, he wasn't. He was last um, decade. Oh man, because he's still killing it for the Saints. So yeah. mine was similar, but I created an all-purpose player just because I can do. Because you had I to want. put Debo in there, exactly. And yeah. I, and Colin didn't listen. So yeah. well, and and I I was with you by the way. I remember we we were having this conversation over text where you were like, "How do I leave one of these four guys out between Alshon, Brian, Debo, and Pharaoh?" And yeah. I said, "Got to leave Debo out. Make him the make him the all-purpose guy." Because if you look at it, I mean, he had a really nice career at South Carolina, but he only had one. Really, really good season as a wide receiver. Part of that was because you know injuries slowed him up and things like that. But you know, over the you know bodies of work, individual seasons, I, I feel like Debo does have to be the odd man out there. Yeah, and and then yeah, we're, if you're talking body of work now, if you're talking about those were four receivers, what order would you pick? You know, if you were picking a South Carolina team, I'm picking Alshon first and Debo second out of those four. Really, I would if say, I'm building a team. Oh man, definitely Alshon first. Chris, do you agree, Alshon first? Yeah, you got it. yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I I would honestly, I'd maybe go Brian too. Really, he is he is the paradigm of consistency. Hey, there's a what do you mean? Nah. How do you make that face? He caught a he caught a pass in every single game he played in. He, he also probably dropped more passes than any of those other guys. I don't think Alshon yeah. dropped a ball. I mean, he maybe dropped one know. ball. His okay, entire we need to, we need to effort this because I I feel like I feel like Brian's drop numbers have gotten blown a little bit out of proportion. He had like one bad stretch in the middle of his junior season last year. Not this past season, but the season before that, and then I don't know. He dropped a couple of balls this year, but but no, I, I'm I'm not saying that like, he dropped a lot of passes. Relative We're talking to, about relative to the best South Carolina receivers in the last decade, and 
this is, I mean, this is a group right here. Yeah. Like, Alshon, Alshon freaking Jeffrey is one of the best receivers in the NFL. Sure. That's why I wouldn't pick anyone over Alshon. Yeah, so Alshon won. I just, Debo's playmaking ability, the fact that he could score anytime he touched it. And that that's that's literally nothing against Brian Evers or against Farrah Cooper. Um, just if, if I was selecting, now, bot, you know, body of work, Brian Evers is the all-time leading receiver at South Carolina. Again, consistency. And so not to mention, he made the greatest catch that any South Carolina receiver has ever made in the history of the school's football program. What, the Tennessee catch? Yeah. Yeah, that was a good one. <laughs> that um, pretty was good. a good one. It was one. pretty good. I don't know. The Ole Miss catch was really good, too. Yeah, there's a lot of them. He's fantastic. Not to mention, I mean, obviously, it's it's he's still not the same level playmaker as Debo ever, but... And we saw, I mean, really in the last like year and a half, the little bit of action that he got as a punt returner, and then his entire senior season, every time he got the ball, he was like channeling the energy of Debo, where he was just running over dudes, breaking tackles. He was great in space his senior year. I think, I don't know, I feel like he's, but it's sort of tied in with team success, which is the same reason that I think people don't think as highly of Pharaoh as some of those other guys. But I feel like Brian will still be an underrated guy over the course of history just because his teams didn't succeed that much but he was fantastic for his entire career and there's something to be said for that yeah you're right and we're, I mean we're splitting hairs if we're talking about these four guys but I, but I I just created the all-purpose player even though um Colin didn't listen um but yeah tight end I have Hayden Hurst if you if you look at the numbers Hayden's numbers as as good as you know y'all's instant reaction was wow there were some good guys and there mm-hmm. were if you look at the numbers yeah Hayden Hurst destroys the other tight ends. So um, other tight ends this decade, it's Rory Anderson, it's Hayden Hurst, it's um, obviously Kyle Markway. Who else? Jarrell Adams. Jarrell, oh, yeah, Jarrell Adams. Jarrell was a good uh, player. Yeah, wait, he had that touchdown against LSU that set up the onside kick. When is uh, when did Justice Cunningham finish up? Um, he was before Jared Cook, I thought, right? No, he no. was after. He he would have been this Wow, decade. Jared Cook's that old? Jared Cook, I mean. It was mean, Jared Cook and then Justice Cunningham. Jared Cook, I believe, was in the 2005 recruiting class, if I'm... Not okay. mistaken. You remember so Jerry like Cook playing in the 06 Six, seven, eight, nine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We all remember that. That's the play that, unfortunately for him, yeah. sticks out for everybody, was yeah. the dropped touchdown um, when Savelle looked off to safety and threw a Against dime. Will Muschamp's mm-hmm. Auburn defense. Yeah. Um, yeah. I would, dime I, down I, the middle. I'm, I'm fine with Hayden. I would just make sure that Rory got honorable mention because he was great. Or um, he was fun. He was fun. Maybe not it, great, but he was really yeah, good. The numbers just don't – the numbers don't – match Hayden's at all. Um which I, I was actually surprised um how different they were. Um trying to get those since you know it's it's really interesting you have in your mind, especially the longer you get away from when a guy played, you have in your mind what they did. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you go back and the numbers back you up and then sometimes you go back and you're like, wow, that guy did way more than I remember or that guy did way less. Um but Hayden Hurst for a tight end um, I mean, this guy had a hundred career receptions, um, almost thirteen hundred yards, um, three touchdowns, <laughs> had eleven rushes. Y'all remember when they wanted to get him the ball in the jet sweep? I hated that um, every time they did it. Even you know, when it worked. Yeah, even when it worked, he had a rushing touchdown. Um, but yeah, so he had a year two thousand sixteen, forty eight catches, two thousand seventeen, forty four catches from a tight end position. Um that's that's pretty crazy. Um, 
Yeah, Busta Anderson, uh, for comparison, 61, 61 catches, yeah, 954 yards. But he did have nine touchdowns. I remember him being a touchdown scoring machine. He had yeah. five in 2012. I think about the I think about the one touchdown that he scored on that. Uh, I don't know what you call it, but basically he ran like all the way across the field and was wide open against Georgia and yeah, Shaw hit him and drag yeah, 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 throwback. Um, seemed like he had he had a nice touchdown catch against Georgia from Dylan Thompson as well um, down the down the middle of the field, but. Uh, but yeah, he he would be in the conversation. Let's see. For me, I had my offensive linemen were Brandon Shell, AJ Ken, Donnell Stanley, Corey Robinson, and TJ Johnson. Um, is that the same? I I, I would uh, I had a would have a couple to add there. Maybe Dennis Daly over Corey Dennis Robinson. Dennis Daly would be one. Um, Watkins mm. was really good. Yeah, he was um, really good. Who do you he, replace? Oh, I'm not saying I don't even. I wasn't even. I was hedging. Not as wasn't okay. even saying uh, he would. Yeah. I would just throw him in the mix. Um, is Zach Bailey in there potentially? He could be in the conversation. I wouldn't put him on the first team over anybody else. Who Who else was center aside from TJ? Um, this decade. Well, TJ and Donnell pretty much played yeah. the entire day. TJ yeah. was like TJ Joe Morrison and Donnell was three and a half. Did Ronald Patrick play center part of that time, or I know he played guard at one point. Um, AJ Can played center at one point, um, but but yeah, I I went back and forth on Corey Robinson and Dennis Daly. Ultimately, uh, I even went back and looked at some Pro Football Focus grades for the two of them, mm-hmm. and Corey's were were a good bit better. Really, um, uh, Dennis Daly though, it's like like uh, I guess not last year, but year before. He was he was a fantastic left tackle and had one bad game against Kentucky when Josh Allen ate his lunch and had like three sacks against him or something like that and that destroyed his number for the entire rest of the season. But other than that, I mean, he's starting for the Panthers by the end of the year. Not that the Panthers were any good, but yeah, it's just I mean, you still have to be good to start for an NFL yeah, team, yeah, like, exactly. for the most part. Yeah, yeah, as a rookie, protecting the quarterback's blind side, like that's that's pretty yeah. strong. Josh Allen ate a lot of people's lunch. Uh, yeah, that, <laughs> yeah, that's year. why he was a top ten pick. What yeah, he six or something a, or four? Stud, yeah. but um. So I, to finish mine off, I I categorized them a little bit differently to to make to fit the guys I wanted to on here. I had I put Melvin Ingram as a defensive tackle just because he was so good lining up inside mm. as a pass rusher. So who's your other um, end? So I had Ken Law and Ingram as my two defensive tackles. I've got Clowney and Devin Taylor. Um, <sighs> so I thought I thought Devin was always underrated. Yeah, he had um, a pick six. I put Antonio Allen as a spur, um, or as a linebacker because he played spur. So I had Sky, Antonio Allen, TJ Brunson. Um, and I actually, even though you could have put Holloman at linebacker as well, Holloman played more of his career at safety. So I had DJ Swearinger, Devontae Holloman at safety. The two corners, uh, Stefan Gilmore, Vic Hampton. I struggled to know who I should put as the second corner. But the people. You put who, Vic Hampton over just the first two years of JC? Yes. Okay. The people who played with Vic Hampton say that he was the best cover guy, like pure cover guy really? that Carolina has had like in recent memory. Like really? when he was in school, the way he would just lock guys down for the people that were like on the field with him, um, they're very high on Vic Hampton. So that was sort of what huh. uh put him over the top for me. Elliot Fry, uh Joseph Charlton, A. Sanders punt returner, Debo Samuel kick returner, coach of the decade, Steve Spurrier. Offensive player of the decade, I went Lattimore. Defensive Clowney, freshman Marcus. Special teams, Debo Samuel. That was my my personal final list. Hmm. So no Mike Davis over Marcus Lattimore? Is that crazy? Yeah, I just I can't do it. Yeah. No. He meant, and you almost, 
Um, I guess we didn't. You, we can take this up with Colin. You, you needed to just let us put two running backs because any all-decade team, Mike Davis should be on there. Mm-hmm. But Mike Davis can't be on there at the you know by taking Marcus Lattimore off. So um, I we think, need we need more than eleven guys because you need more than yes. three wide receivers. You need a tight end and you need two running backs. Fifteen man offense. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, and a six O lineman, <laughs> extra blocker. But yeah, I mean, I, I had some conversations. Like, you know. What other guys do you mix in? You know, we ended up having Taylor Stallworth as the defensive tackle. Um, you know, how do you how do you sort of slot different guys? But um, that was my my official, unofficial, all decades. All no decades. Jimmy Legree at DB. No Jimmy Legree. No, no Rashad Fenton. No. What would Rashad Fenton have been in your next two receiving votes with J.C. Horn, Vic Hampton, Stefan, J.C. And Rashad? Maybe. I'm trying to – who else played corner back then? Legree was solid. Yeah, there was like a – Yeah, he there was, was solid. A, there was uh, – what was his name? Marty Marquette, right? Yeah, class of uh, – York. <laughs> I'm just – Carlos Thomas was a cornerback at some point. That would not have point. been this decade. Was that – Played some receiver as a freshman. Yeah, yeah. yeah not was, this decade. That was 2005 class. Uh, oh, uh, okay. what was his name? Jamarcus King? Now I'm just coming up with names. He was of solid. That, that played defensive back. I think you're coming up with some solid ones that. No, I mean that, I'm, that I'm not nominating that, any yeah. of these. I'm just trying to think of who played corner. I yeah. don't think any of those guys would deserve it. But wasn't Marty Marquette a walk on? Wasn't he a track he was. guy? Yeah, he was. Yeah, yeah, I remember him being good. Like considering that he was a walk on and a track guy. He started. I'm pretty sure he started 2010 in the swamp when they clinched the SEC East. Um, the starting cornerbacks were. Stefan Gilmore. And Marty Marquette? And Marty Marquette. Huh. I, I, if at one point I zoned out and y'all mentioned this, I'm sorry. Why is Patrick DeMarco not on the list? Oh, all right. So we need a tight end. We need four wide receivers, two running backs, back. and a fullback. Yeah. Six yeah. offensive linemen. Pat DeMarco's got to be on the list. Yeah. No, he's awesome. That's that's a good point. Talking about the swamp, that made me think of it. Those, those blocks he would throw. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. What, what years was he... He was, I don't know, he was definitely, he was definitely on the 2010, 2010 team. Yeah, was so. he 7 to 11? Or I think he was 7 to 11, sounds or seven about 7 right. to 10. 7 to 10, okay. Seven, yeah, because yeah, yeah, he played as a freshman. Yeah. yeah. He counts. Um, he got wow. one year in on the decade. Dang, yeah, that's the I, other part of it. Uh, well, I, I like... You could I like, put him as a tight end. You could. Because he played tight end and fullback. I like hmm. what you said uh, when you put Donnell Stanley in there, because you said it's the all-decade team and he's the only guy that played all-decade. Exactly. You gotta. You have to have... The whole decade. You cannot have... A yeah. Don, an all decade team without Donnell. Yeah. Like, sorry. And he feeds the team fish. I uh-huh. mean, he fishes the. Donnell's fishes. made three, the only player to make three all decade teams <laughs> in college football history. Congratulations. Oh, man. So that was a lot of fun. If y'all He's going to find a way to come back next year. Y'all, <laughs> y'all so. wait. I hope so. First guy to play seven years wear a mask. Some obscure rule. <laughs> Just a fake mustache. <laughs> if y'all yeah. missed that, go check it out on Gamecock Central. Uh, weigh in on the thread when we post this. Hit us on Twitter uh, at GC Chris Clark at West Mitchell GC and at Pearson Bauer if you uh, think we missed anybody or think that. Uh, Think that we were dead wrong about anything, but that was a or lot think of fun. We're idiots. Uh, I'm glad that y'all did that. Thanks for letting me weigh in on it a little bit, Wes. Uh, when we did the basketball one, uh, we'll talk to Colin Taylor tomorrow a little bit about that. We're obviously going to be recapping the Florida game, looking ahead to Tennessee, and we'll have a little bit of fun with the basketball version of that just so we uh, touch a little bit more of this because it's really good content and it was a really good decade for all South Carolina sports. Uh, thank you all so, so much for listening. Glad to be back here on ACP. Don't forget to rate, review, subscribe to the podcast, and share it with your friends. We will be back. Next Wednesday, and it, it, you know it's weird. It, like football season's over, but 
National Signing Day, or excuse me, late signing period is right around the corner, and then spring starts not long after that, and then we do have a little bit of a doldrums, but um, there's a lot going on still, so be sure to subscribe, a lot of good stuff going. Uh, Colin and I are rolling with the hard foul now twice a week, which uh, we've had a lot of fun with, and like I said, we appreciate y'all's feedback any way you want to give it to us, so uh, please let us know. Y'all, uh, thank you so much for listening. Happy New Year. Thank you so much for being with us through the start of this and rocky early starts in 2019. And now I feel like we got a, a good, consistent thing going. So we really appreciate it. Wouldn't have been possible without all of y'all's support and feedback and, of course, rating, reviewing, and subscribing. Thank you all so much for listening. I will be back with Colin tomorrow. Wes, Chris, and I will be back next Wednesday. Y'all have a good week. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.